family, and welcome to a brand new episode of Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan, and I want to begin a brand new uh, kind of a mini series here on on relationships, relationship building. Our relationships right now are being so tested and tried uh, in the middle of this culture with everybody kind of taking their own road uh, and their own direction on how to deal with all of these cultural matters that are being thrown at us. And it's it's been used uh, politically to divide. It's been used morally to divide. Uh, people are, are, are divided on so many things with COVID, vaccine mandates, mask mandates, private school, public school, homeschool. They're divided on uh, how many people they should be around, on, on how you should um, um, take care of your body, uh, you know, just so many things right now culturally that is is dividing us. And I've had people come in and speak with me and say, I don't know what to do with this person now that we're, we're on such different paradigms. Can I still be friends with them? How do I develop my relationship with them? Uh, oftentimes it may be somebody in church who has a different political opinion or a different uh, theological uh, opinion or a different... Um, uh, virtue opinion. And because of that, it can cause divide. But, you know, there's not a person who's listening right now who has not been scarred by a relationship that you expected one thing, but you received something else. We've all gone through that. So as you, as you talk, as you think about relationships and you talk about the godly relationships and the people who may not be walking with God that are in your life, one of the biggest challenges I believe that we face as Christians is how do I categorize my relationships? What are the definitions and how are those lines defined and who belongs in what category? Because I think when you get a person out of the category that they belong in, you can anticipate a landslide of hurt. You know, I, I think kind of my areas of study remains in the kingdom work that we're called to here on earth and, and to the relationships that God has placed around us. And this can be a life-defining subject because the people who are plodding along through life, it's usually because someone did something to them or they were offended at something or they were hurt or they were, they were um, abused by something or someone because people who are drudging through life is sometimes because someone was supposed to do something to someone else, but they never did. And people who have scarred souls, not scarred because of a thing, but oftentimes because of a person. And I don't understand why relationships are not a priority uh, from the pulpit in, our, in, in many of our churches, because they affect everybody. It's truly the only topic that can affect everybody in the room. And, you know, we're all going to go through relational journeys, and we will begin to uncover areas of our relationships in this mini-series that I believe can, can help us grow stronger together in them. So... I want to ask you, what do you look for in a friend? You know, I, I, let me start with painful people because there are people that are just painful people. We see that all over the culture right now in 2021. Some people are magnets for painful people. Some people are enablers of painful people. So what are the characteristics of painful people and why do you attract them? Why do they keep ending up in your life? Well, the first question we have to ask is, am I a painful person? Is it painful and difficult to be in relationship with you? And those kind of questions we're going to look at because if, if I asked you, what do you look for in a friend? You know, I don't care what generation you came from. Most people would answer something like this, someone who's maybe fun loving or easygoing or somebody with no drama, someone that can make me laugh, someone who has goals, someone who's ambitious, someone who's strong. But none of that necessarily has to do with character because when you look for a best friend or you look for someone to run through life with and to journey together, you are in character assessment. 
You're assessing their character. And everything that everybody's looking for has nothing to do with integrity or character. It has to do with personality. Now, listen, there's some people that just do not have a personality. Come on, can I get an amen on the other side of this podcast? There are some people that don't have a personality. It's very difficult to engage them. They don't give you eye contact. It's like talking the paint off a wall in a room. You just can't get them to engage. And you're trying to to uncover their character. You're trying to figure out who they are and they're giving you nothing, but yet they text you and call you all the time. They're always reaching out, but yet they give you nothing to run with. And everything that everybody's looking for has nothing to do with integrity or character. It has to do with personality in this culture. But when you want a friend, you don't look for personality traits. You look for character traits. I can't tell you my weaknesses and my faults if you're fun-loving because you might want to one day have fun with my faults, if we can be honest. You know, I, I don't believe the church at large has been taught very much about assessing one's character, specifically because we think that character assessing is judging someone. We think that while we're, we're validating someone's character, we're trying to make a determining decision with, with discernment from the Holy Spirit on whether or not I'm supposed to run with you, whether or not we're supposed to journey through together, that we're somehow judging somebody. Take marriage, for example. When you ask someone what they look for in a husband or wife, most people say the same thing, and they start listing personality traits. Well, Proverbs, tell, Proverbs 31 tells you what to look for in a wife, and none of it has to do with personality. When you read 1 Corinthians 13 on love, none of it has to do with feelings. But pastor, I get all those butterflies. You don't understand. What do I, you know, what I do understand is that those butterflies are going to fly out one day, and you're going to need something to substantiate getting those butterflies back. What will you do then? That butterfly will, will even fly out several times. Come on, while you're on your honeymoon. <laughs> you know, so there, there, are, there will be some relationships that you need to eliminate. You know, there are going to be some relationships you need to cultivate. And that means you have to let them die. You've let them deteriorate and you need to go back and revisit them. But those other relationships that are, if I can use a cultural word, toxic, and they're, they're, they're slowly killing your ability to maintain good, godly, uh, um, provincial relationships. In Matthew 7, you know, Jesus is applying a principle to a certain kind of person which is teachers, but the principle remains no matter what the application. A, a principle is a principle, and Jesus has a certain group of people he's applying it to in this context, but it's still a truth that's applicable for every person. So in Matthew seven sixteen, the Bible says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So do I go to a thorn bush if I want a grape? It's amazing what you want, but where you go to get it. I'm going to say it again. It's amazing what you want, but where you will go to get it. So don't compromise to have company. That's a word for somebody on the other side. Don't compromise to have company. Do not allow your values and those godly, uh, um, um, the godly weight that you carry everywhere you go. Do not compromise what God has put on you just to have company. So the scripture goes on to say, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So when you look for character, nobody can fool you consistently. Now, personality, personality, you can fool me for a lifetime, but character, if it's not there, you're not going to fool me very long before I begin to see that it's missing. So if they are a liar, guess what? It's going to show up. 
If they're kind, kindness is going to leak out of them. It's going to ooze out of them. So wherever, uh, you know, or whatever is truly there, it will come out of them. Jesus said they cannot take a tree and fake you out with the fruit. So if it's an orange tree, guess what it's going to produce? It's going to produce oranges. If it's an apple tree, it's going to produce apples. Every tree, verse 19 of Matthew 7, says every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people that do not bear the fruit that God expects, you cannot give yourself to them in a confident, uh, you know, or, 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 or serious relationship. Some of you have been taught by people that we love everybody. Yes, we do. But because God tells you to love, to love others and to love you does not mean I have to give myself to you. I have to love you by the command of God, but trust is earned. My trust is earned as someone meets those qualifications to be my friend, to live within the confines of my circle. Some people have absolutely no qualifications for others to be in your life. And you will go sit and have coffee. You will go meet somebody for the very first time and you will pour every secret out to them that you have hidden in the confines of your life in the first 45 minutes of that conversation. Don't settle for less just because it's available. If we are looking for fruit, what kind of fruit are we looking for? Because Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Goodness, faithfulness. In other words, will you love me when my cracks start to show up? Will, will you love me when the foundation of this relationship becomes fractured? Gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Jesus says you're going to know people by their fruit. So if you are something or you constantly have to tell me what you are, there's a great probability that you are not that. Come on. People that always tell me how much money they have usually means they're broke as a convict. Come on, let's be real. Because most likely have debt up to their eyeballs, living one step ahead of a debt, a debt collector, and they're living paycheck to paycheck. If you have to tell me you're a Christian, that means your tree has not shown me anything because I should be able to get around you and feel and determine that there's something different about you that I can identify with based on the Holy Spirit within us. So you're trying to convince me of something with your words and try and prove something that your tree is not bearing. So if you are a Christian, I should have known it long before you ever told me because I should have seen love and joy and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control just oozing out of your life, leaking out onto other people around you and pouring out to others. Long before you ever confess that you are a believer, people should be able to determine that about you by the fruit that's on your tree. But pastor, I, I, I'm a very giving person. I love to give, but you won't even share a cupcake with your kid because it's the last one sitting in the pantry. And when you see them go to grab the carton, you freak out on them and say, hey, that's mine. I didn't get one. Come on, let's, let's be real. You want me to look at your fruit, but believe that you're something different. Some people freak out when you go to, when you go to, you know, you go to a restaurant and, and you're sharing fries and, and, you know, you've always got that one person in your friend's group that always likes to eat all the fries, right? And you're that person that's either going to press them and push them, or you're going to say, you know what, if that's a thing for you, I'm not going to make it a thing, but it's bearing fruit. It's showing you those who have the ability to be, to be uh, graceful and, and to give and to share and, and, and have that experience in your life. So, uh, you know, some people want somebody in their life so bad that you'll actually lie to yourself about what you're actually seeing. Well, they're a really giving person. What have they ever given? 
What have they ever sacrificed? You want to go into a relationship with that person so badly that you will blind yourself to all the fruit that is hanging right there on the tree that is telling you, maybe don't marry me. Don't hang out with me. We can't run together. Don't walk with me. Don't get caught up in this circle. And after you get married, if we can use marriage as an example, maybe sometimes after you get married, you go to your mom and your dad and realize that what they were telling you the whole time was true. Come on. This is going to be, this is going to be a tough mini series, but I'm going to give you a truth because, you know, I've run into people over the years that would see me out and, 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 you know, they'd see me out and about after a baseball game or a softball practice, you know, with my girls. And they're always surprised to see me in a hat and shorts, you know, cause pastors are supposed to walk around and, you know, in jeans and dress shirts and, and, you know, cool, funky shoes all the time. And, and, you know, their hair is always done, but you know, when, when people would see me out in a hat and I got dirt on my face and my, my, my baseball attire is, is on, they look surprised because I'm supposed to look like I'm in church 24 seven. Right. But listen, when I go home, my kids call me dad. I go to the baseball field and other people will call me coach. If somebody has to tell you what they are, you haven't examined the fruit for yourself. So why don't you examine the fruit and then you'll find out if the tree really is what it claims to be. You got to look at the fruit. And it's critical that you understand the different kind of relationships and the parameters or boundaries that make it that kind of relationship and then get the right person in the right category. So when you begin to put expectations on a relationship that it was not designed to give you, I think you're going to get hurt. So you've got to understand that some people are great at giving you just enough hope to keep you holding on to absolutely nothing. And some of you, those people you have on your hate list, come on, you don't need to hate them. You put yourself in a bad situation and they were never supposed to live up to your expectations. So, you know, oftentimes we can ask ourselves in moments like that where we say, well, who hurt you? And most of the time our answer is, well, it's my own fault. It's my own expectations. What do I mean? Well, you don't go to work for support. Come on, I'm talking to somebody right now. Maybe you're listening into your cubicle. Uh, you're in your cubicle at work or you're, you're in the car on the way to work. I'm telling you right now, you don't go to work for support. Well, I don't want to work there because I can never find any friends. Well, whoever told you that going to work is the place where you're going to find friends? You know what work is for? Pay me. Give me money. I'm doing something and I have an expectation on the other side of this that I'm going to be rewarded with money because I'm going to work. Pay me. I've given you my time. I've given you my energy, my gifts. So pay me. I'm not looking for counsel. I'm not looking for best friends, not looking for a confidant, just pay me. So if your boss is your best friend, more likely there's going to be trouble brewing, right? Unless you are an anomaly, trouble's coming because there isn't anything carnal about that. Nothing unholy about that. It's a job that you get paid to do and you wouldn't do it if you couldn't say, pay me. Come on, let's be real. But I understand the ease in which we utilize peers at work as confidants. And here's why, because you know why strangers support you more so than people that you, you know, and you have a relationship with right now, because people that know you have a tough time accepting that you came from the same place they did, and they're still stuck in the same place. They haven't gone anywhere. And oftentimes by default, we utilize coworkers to get the conversation and engagement that we can't get through the relations, the relationships we already have with those who know us well. But the relationship needs boundaries. So here's one truth for this culture right now in 2021. You don't sleep with friends. And guess what? You don't wake up with them either. 
because you are making that relationship give you something that it was never designed to give because there is a mountain of pain headed your way. That relationship is not meant to operate outside of certain boundaries. So you don't tell an acquaintance your secrets. Like I, like I told you, you don't go to the coffee shop with, with someone that you just met downtown for the very first time or the first person that you've met in a long time at church. You know, there's a, there's a guest that comes in and they happen to sit next to you in your row at church and you, you meet them and you get connected and, and you have that, that, that immediate uh, connection and you say, hey, let's go have coffee tomorrow. You meet up and then boom. You just unload on them or you let them unload on you. There's got to be boundaries. You don't tell your problems to those who work for you and you don't tell your problems to those who you just met who have not gained and earned your trust to be able to speak those things to them. Remember, authority always answers up. It never answers down. So if you have a complaint, you take it up. You don't take it down because those under you want to hear your problem so they can use it against you to have what isn't theirs, what doesn't belong to them. So there are many different relationships. You know, there, there are these things that, that we define in uh, relationship circles called constituents. And these are the kind of people that are not for you. They are for what you are for. I'm going to say it again. Those kind of people are not for you but they are for what you are for. These people are temporary in nature. They come in and out of your life. You know, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. Those are the kind of people that are drawn together for a cause. At your workplace, you're about to get connected with different divisions in your company, and you're brought together for a common cause. Those people are your constituents. You know, these people that come together for a common accomplishment, so to speak, and you're working towards a common goal. Now, in the church world, we see people come together on Sundays for a common cause, but people don't always stay connected to the cause. I used to take it personally, but I understand how this works now because we will have many different cases. We'll have people that will come in and they will appreciate the cause, but they were not meant to be connected to this this house of worship uh, for life. And that used to hurt me deeply because I took it personally, because whenever someone would leave the church, not realizing that God intended these people to come and go, I would take it personally. And we have to understand as soon as victory has been achieved or the going gets tough, some people will move on. And I remember growing up as a pastor's kid, I began to understand that people don't leave the local church. They leave the pastor. They walk away from the vision. They walk away from the heart. They walk away from the teaching. They walk away from, from the, the mantle that that pastor carries. Externally, we say, well, I left that church or you left this church, but you are truly leaving the headship that God has positioned to carry the mantle of that local church. So those are your constituents, right? And then you've got you know what we call comrades, for lack of a better term, and those kind of people are against what you're against. So we're against hunger. We're against homelessness. We're against violence. Uh, maybe you found some comrades now who agree with your your depictions about COVID and, and, and mask mandates and vaccine max, uh, mandates and things like that, and you come together for a common cause. Those you know There are countries that the United States doesn't even like but they'll come together to fight a greater enemy like the Taliban or like ISIS. They are not, you know, and, and they are comrades, even though they themselves are not friends, but a greater enemy is now threatening. So we are against the same thing. And because of that threat, we join forces. So by nature, constituents and comrades are kind of meant to be temporary and they're meant to come and go. And your life is going to have many seasons. And God governs your life by seasons, as Ecclesiastes tells us, and God will bring these kinds of people in and out of your life as the seasons of life change. 
And as the passions of your life change, and as what God does in your life changes, people are going to come and go. Someone told me a very long time ago that there's three reasons that people come into your life. People come into your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. And very few people are in your life for a lifetime. But here's the one everybody wants. Everybody wants a confidant, a confidant. A confidant is someone who is in to you. And it's not about what you're for. It's not about what you're against, not about what you have or what you bring to the table, not about what you can do for them. It's not about your gift or your talent. They love you because it's just you. You know, Oral Roberts, my, my father had a chance to spend a great deal of time um, uh, with Oral Roberts when he was uh, in his prime. And uh, Oral Roberts said, if you have five confidants in your lifetime, you're a blessed man. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And to be honest with you, I'd probably suggest to him now in 2021 that he change that perspective to two. Because here's the thing. The thing is that everybody has, you know... Uh, Everybody has somebody in their life who they consider a confidant. And we're not empty because of constituents. We're not empty because of comrades. They both come and go like the wind, but a confidant. Without one, you will feel empty, isolated, depressed, void. How do you know if you have a confidant? Because when you walk into the room and you tell them your victory, guess what they're going to do? They're going to stop everything that they are doing. They will put down what they are doing. And all of a sudden, your victory just became the most important news they've heard all day. Because when you come in, in with tears streaming down your face because of everything that God is doing, God just blessed you. God just showed himself to be strong in your life. God just reconciled something. They will stop everything they're doing, and they will celebrate you, put their arms around your neck, and pull you in tight and begin to love on you. And the Bible says that the real body of Christ, when one rejoices, everybody's rejoicing. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. When one is in trouble, we all are in trouble. When one is in defeat, we are all in defeat. So somebody who is really my confidant, when you're, you're with me when I'm up, you're with me when I'm down. You're with me when I'm in trouble, and you're with me when I'm not. You're with me when I've, I've got a pocket full of money, and you're with me when I'm broke. You're not into what I'm fighting and not into what I'm against or what I'm for. You love me and care about God's destiny in my life. I have found good character in you and you have found good character in me. And I know when, when I tell you something, the only person who will ever know about it other than you and me will be a holy God. Come on, that, 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 that's powerful. And, and, and it's your fault and my fault if we make a constituent or a comrade your confidant. But pastor, I don't like rejection. Rejection is not always somebody leaving your life because sometimes it's God knowing they aren't supposed to be in your future. How do you know that? Well, God allows people to talk about you in your low season so they can be excluded from your next season. You don't need to carry everybody with you from your previous seasons. There are just some people you've got to let go. And I know that's very difficult for people to do, especially right now while we've been isolated from people and we've been disconnected from people for so long. People, you know, you've got to have confidants. And I can promise you that the, the thousands of people you have on your Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page are most likely not confidants to you. You're going to have a very small amount of people who you can entrust with the integrity and the character of everything taking place in your life. So why is a confidant so important where James tells us in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins or translated weaknesses to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I can't be healed until I get it out. So let me, let me say this to you. You know what depression is? Depression is nothing but I never got to talk about it. You know why people don't get to talk about it? Because they don't have a confidant. They don't have someone that they can trust with the deepest, most innermost secrets of their life that's causing them pain, that has fractured the foundation of their journey. Now, this translation uh, that I'm reading from uh, in the scripture says sins, but another says weaknesses. In other words, you don't go out and blab your life's stuff to everybody. You find your confidant. Because secrets, if I can be honest with you, secrets are like plutonium. Secrets are nuclear. And the Bible says the only way you are healed from them is through confession. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the mouth cannot empty itself the heart of, po- of the heart of poison, the poison kills the heart. And that's the people with no dream, no vision, no future, no hope, no ambition, no goals, and they are stuck in the moment. You know why? Because everything they need to get out, they have no one to tell. Confess your weaknesses. You can't go up to just anybody and confess that, that you were abused when you were nine years old. But people carry that for 40 years. And in the right environment, plutonium becomes a nuclear bomb. So someone who was, was raped at nine years old in a marriage of 30 years of silence, then you're 50 and, you know, you're, you're 50 and then a bomb goes off. Someone tells you they were molested when they were six. What do you do with that? Someone tells you the innermost secrets of their life and it can make your heart sick. The Bible says that your silent frustrations rest only in the belly of fools. The Bible says to think that you can carry that and it not affect you makes you a fool. So I have to wade through the crowd in a character assessment and find someone not with a personality trait because they can look fine, but a person who can tell me something. It's two in the morning and I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're watching a movie and, you know, it's demonic and dark and, and all of a sudden you feel all the spiritual oppression and you can pick up the phone and call them and say, I need you to pray right now because I'm going through something. Who do you tell that to? Who do you tell that you, you fell and you broke your leg and the pain is so bad, but four years later when your leg was healed in 12 weeks, but I'm still taking pain meds because I can't get off of them and you're addicted now. Who do you tell that to? These are different levels of relationships. And, and then there are, there are the abandoners. Abandoners in relationships, they start and never finish. They stay with you while the shine is still in your armor, while you're still looking fine and you're looking good and you're all polished. But when that shine starts to go away and starts revealing the cracks and the deficiencies, they take off because those are surface level people. These people never stick around when trouble hits and they're there for your successes, but not around during your struggles because abandoners will look for perfect people and disappear when they find out that you are not perfect. But be very careful because... You've got to determine the people that you build with because some of these people are stealing your bricks and they are building somewhere else. They're taking the best of you in the greatest seasons of your life and they are taking what you are supposed to be building your house with and they are using them somewhere else. Sometimes you just have to unfollow people in real life. Come on, it's not just on social media. There's just some people you've got to walk away from. It's okay not to have relationships with people. Maybe you've had relationships with people for 10, 15, 20 years and you're in a different season of life. It's okay to walk away from those people now. When you're looking for the confidant, you have to be careful of the critic as well. And the critic, you know, this is this is this kind of 
culture we're in right now, there's critical people everywhere. And these people tend to be self-righteous. They tend to be clear thinkers and have information on you, but they usually don't speak the truth in love. They love the fact that they are right more than they love the relationship. And, And a positive aspect of a critical person is that they usually love to find truth and love righteousness. But to be close to them leaves you guilt-ridden and condemned and you feel like you've got to hang your head every time you walk in the room because they think that their way is the answer to your life. And you can't ever tell your problem to them without some kind of sermon being attached to it. You know, you got those people around you that are constantly preaching to you, but yet when you look at their life, you're like, go preach to yourself in the mirror. You need to go talk to yourself before you come and talk to me. They just never hear you or, or, or let you empty your heart, but they have to point out every single one of your errors while they're hearing your story, not understanding it's your story and your testimony that is producing for you the weight of glory that God wants to reveal out of your life. So they can change, they can learn love and humility, but they tend to be self-righteous. They tend to look down on other people's weaknesses as sinfulness. And often that's the group group that's going to offend you the most because understand offense is a major tool that the enemy uses against Christians. The word offense in the Greek is is skandalon, if if I'm pronouncing that right, meaning trap or bait. So let let me say it like this. When someone is offended, it usually happens when you hear, when you see, or you experience something that is so alternate from what you expected that it makes your soul aggravated because your expectations were put into the wrong category and you become disappointed or angry and soon become offended. Well, Psalm fifty-five, twelve says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Now, holding on to offenses and not dealing with it properly will result in a chain of pain. So you've got to learn to live free in the waters of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself because people are going to wrong you. They're going to disappoint you. People are going to hurt you. But forgiveness is not a gift you give someone else. It's a gift you give yourself. And it's amazing to me as a pastor how many people walk around a church broken and hurt because of what somebody inside the church did to them. You know, when you see people who haven't been to church in 20 years and you, you hear their story and you find out what's gone on, well, so-and-so did something to them 20 years ago, or they said something about them 20 years ago, and it was embarrassing and it was humiliating, and, and they, couldn't, they, they, they couldn't recover from what was done or what was said. And they have such a demoralizing view of the local church. Well, let me tell you right now, as we're listening to this, as you're listening to this podcast, I'm telling you, you and I, the church, we are about as imperfect as they come. We have a different set of standards. We have godly values and godly morality deep within us. But there are times where we are going to fail one another. And living in unforgiveness only prolongs your ability to function completely in your anointing. So when you don't forgive someone who's done you, done you wrong and they've, they've, they've caused you some kind of, of angst in your life and, and, and you are caught up in a place of, of, of offense, 
forgiveness is your way out. Because if you remain in unforgiveness and refuse to rid your heart of this sin, you remain deceived and confuse others with your own hypocritical lifestyle. Because, but they hurt me, Pastor. Listen, sometimes God doesn't stop you from being thrown into the furnace because he has a point to prove to the people who put you in there. Will you just trust God? Will you allow God to just do what God's going to do? And we've got to stop getting offended at everything people say that hurts us. We've got to stop getting so offended at every little thing that someone does that offends you. Before you expose someone, remember all the time that God, God's love has covered your multitude of sins. So instead of throwing, you know, you know, throwing stuff at you, instead of, you know, showing the world and putting your life on display, God covered you in the secret place. So truthfully, learning how to leave people alone and move forward with your life is a much needed skill in this culture right now. And we've got to learn how to master it. Don't live your life under the microscope of a critic. Because if God is pleased, you don't worry about who isn't. You don't worry about who isn't. And the last group I want to put before you today is, is the irresponsibles. And these are the people who are warm. You know, they're kind of fun-loving people. Who, you know, they, they care, but they're difficult to trust. Because the irresponsibilities have no thought of tomorrow anywhere in their head. They live for the moment. They never consider the consequences. And if you have an irresponsible person as a best friend, you probably find yourself constantly apologizing for them. You know, everywhere you go, you're always kind of rolling your eyes. You're apologizing for them. When you're around your family, you're like, excuse them. You know how they are. You're, you're paying for their activity, making excuses for them, covering for them because they're irresponsible. And we have to know that when we are looking for a confidant, that nobody is a perfect person. Some need to be initiated, some cultivated, some need to be eliminated. But as you go looking for this kind of person, you have to know that in the plan of God, God has already predestined certain people to enter and exit your life at certain times. He has predesigned a very small number of people that will go the distance with you. Listen, Jesus did not grow a church from small to big. He grew a church from giant to nobody. You know why he did that? Because he started dwindling his crowd when he started demanding that they love him back. And you will often look for some love and consistency from inconsistent, inconsistent people who don't know love. And it's stealing your hope. It's stealing your joy. It's stealing your peace. And as long as Jesus was giving out loaves and fish you know, and he had the healing lines and he was healing the sick. People were on the seasides. People were on the hilltops, the mountaintops everywhere. And finally, one day Jesus got tired of it and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And the next verse of that passage of scripture, you can go look it up and read it. And the Bible says, and from that day forward, many of them followed him not. If I'm quoting that properly, from that day forward, many of them followed him not. This is key. You may love them, but can they love you back? You may want to run with them, but the, can they run with you? Because you're in for a world of hurt if you are the only one in love. And in 2021, you have got to be a discerning follower of Christ. You have got to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you those in your life who you're going to run with them. So, so what do I want you to take from, from the beginning of this, this mini series on this podcast? I don't want you to be hypocritical and leave this moment that we're having together right now saying that you are going to go look for the pers perfect person because you just became a critic if you say that. I want to encourage you, 
Don't go looking for the perfect person of character. Become that. I love you. I'll see you next on Shatterproof.